Hey everyone, nice to be here. Nice to see some familiar faces. In case you don't know me, my name's Stuart as well, and uh, I'm a well, retired sort of. Um, I'm an ex-minister, ex-school chaplain, uh, but still doing a little bit of casual work. So that's the background to who I am at the moment. Um, here's a question for the the kids here and the teens: Ever been embarrassed by your parents? Yeah, yeah, okay, I thought you'd get an answer for that one. How about by what they wear? Ever been embarrassed by what they wear? <laughs> That's a bit, bit too honest. We don't need all those answers. Um, maybe your mum one day decided that getting the four kids off to school was a little bit difficult and that uh, she was running late and she decided she'd take you to school in her jammies. And that's cool, that's all right, she could just drop you off. But imagine if you've got a flat tyre and there you are on the car with mum and she's in her jammers. How embarrassing that would be. Have you ever gone to a, a school on a mufty day but somehow you misread the letter and you turned up in school uniform and everybody else is in their designer clothes? How about uh, dad goes to work and it's a really cold morning and uh, forgets to take his uggies off? And he gets on the train and he realises he's got a really important meeting and there he is dressed in his suit with his uggies on. Or your dad gets invited to a party. He thinks, he thinks it said fancy dress, so he goes out and buys the fancy dress stuff, but when you get there, no one's in fancy dress. A little bit embarrassing. We need to be dressed for the occasion. We need to wear the right clothes for where we're supposed to be. Last week, Paul, as we were reading through Colossians, exhorted us to take off those things that hinder us in life. Take them off and get rid of them. Get rid of the earthly things because you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ. Get rid of impurity, sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, all these sorts of things. Take them off. Get rid of them. And in the passage today, he tells us, let's get dressed appropriately. Let's put on the right stuff so that we can go out into the world and especially amongst each other, becoming more and more like the person of Jesus. Remember, Paul's writing to a group of people who are Gentiles. That is, they're not Jews. They don't come from a, a Jewish background. They come from a background where they've been worshipping pagan gods. So the change for them has been very radical. They've, they've moved from a fairly debauched uh, relationship with their gods, where their gods might have... Uh, demanded fertility worship or um, doing, you know, sacrificing children, that sort of stuff. And suddenly they've become Christians and things have changed. And so they've got to radically shift from one to the other. And Paul tells them what that shift is going to be like. But to start off with, he tells them about their identity. He tells them you don't grow into an identity by the things that you do, because if you do things, sometimes you feel good about the things you do. Sometimes you feel really bad about the things you do. But you have an identity because God gives it to you. So let's have a look at the passage. And if you've got it there in front of you, we're going to work our way through Colossians chapter 3 from verse 12 onwards. I'm not going to put any of the verses up on the screen. So Bibles would be really appropriate and helpful if we go through this together. Paul says in verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. So here he does, he sets the scene for us. He says, you need a new identity. Notice 
the names he uses to describe this Gentile group of Christians. Chosen, holy and loved. These are all words that come out of the Old Testament describing the Jewish people. And Paul now transcribes that and says they apply to the Gentile Christians as well. Uh, back in our reading from Deuteronomy, uh, that was a difficult reading as it was pointed out to us, where the people are going to the promised land and God says, get rid of everybody there, don't intermarry with them. Uh, why does he say all that sort of stuff? Because he wants them to be a holy people. And why do they need to be a holy people? Well, we read this. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people. You weren't a big people. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Like an orphan, these children have been adopted into a new family, given a new name, and now they're told that they are chosen people, just like the Jews were in the Old Testament. Not only are they chosen, notice the next word there, they're holy. Now, this is no ordinary family they're adopted into. This is a royal family. This is a family where people are now significant and valued and treasured and important. Holy literally means set apart. Different, but not weird different. Just different from other people. The opposite of holy is profane, where you take something that's valuable and you treat it as if it's rubbish. Now, I used to take lots of weddings back in the day, uh, up to four on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, sometimes that got quite confusing, where I'd forget the name of the bride and the groom uh, and call them by the wedding that I just had before, uh, which was a little bit embarrassing for me. But I did have a view that weddings were special and weddings were holy. And so because this couple, whether they were Christian or not, decided to get married in a church, I was going to perform a Christian service and I was going to make sure that they understood the significance of the vows that they were making to each other. So we had some rules in the church. The groomsmen weren't allowed to be drunk. That was the first rule because uh, they might uh, say things that they regretted later on. Uh, there were some guidelines of when to take photos. Uh, Sometimes people would come up, this was an old church, they'd come up into the pulpit and they'd take photos up there or they'd come into the sanctuary and they'd take photos behind you and we just had to say, look, this is not a show, you just stay there and take your photos down there at a certain time in the service. And then there was rules about phone etiquette, about turning off your phones. Now we don't have to say that nowadays, most people turn their phones off. Uh, but back in the day then, uh, when it was new with mobiles, uh, you had to say it. Now, on one occasion, we had a wedding and somebody's phone went off, very loud ring, uh, like, that happens, people don't listen to instructions. But this guy, instead of getting embarrassed and turning the phone off, proceeded to have a conversation. Just like you'd have a conversation that you hear on a train where someone's really loud. So I'm trying to um, go through this wedding and this guy's chatting really loudly about um, some goods that are coming to his place that he needs friends to offload. And after a few minutes, when he's finished the conversation, he holds the phone up to me as if to say, it was an important phone call, I had to take it. That's profane, isn't it? That's treating something that's holy as if it's rubbish. We had a few words later on, and so did the groom to him as well. We're God's people. We're set aside for kingdom service. The way we conduct ourselves is not to be the same as everybody else. Our life is not the same as every other life. That's what the people in the Old Testament were learning 
When you come into the promised land, don't go and marry the prettiest girl you see. She's got to be in a relationship with God, not just because she's pretty. So we're told that these Christians are chosen, they're holy, and now we're told they're dearly loved. God has great affection for them. You can never say that about the Greek or the Roman gods. Uh, you uh, found that they were mainly self-seeking and they rewarded those who strive to please them by doing things for them. Uh, but God tells the Colossians that they're special and important because he just loves them. Remember the book of Hosea, where uh, Hosea is asked to marry a prostitute? And then God uses that as an illustration of wooing his people back to himself. There's a wonderful passage in Hosea where God talks about the kind of love he has for those who reject him continually, but because he's chosen them, he will love them despite what they do to him. Let me read to you from Hosea chapter 11 and the first couple of verses. It just says this, if I can find it. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them in by the arms. They did not realise it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. I bent down to feed them. This is the way God loves us. He cares for us like a, a, a mother or a father with an infant child. You know, the child rebels. The father and the mother never stop loving that particular baby. We really need to take this on board, don't we, to, to notice our true identity. We're not Christians who are, are better than anybody else. We're Christians because God chose us. He made us holy. And he loves us. Now, if you've never felt that before, it's wonderful to, to realise uh, what's going on there. Rejoice. This is the Father's way of making us whole and giving us an identity so that we can now begin to transform our lives through the power of the Spirit. So last week we looked at those five vices we take off. Now let's go on and look at the clothes we're to put on. We'll take them one at a time, but... Paul says, therefore, as God's people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Put on a heart of compassion. Our original language there is bowels, stomach of compassion. Uh, that's where you feel things, isn't it? Um, if you get a, a child with a says, oh, I've got a sore tummy, I don't want to go to school today. Um, often it's not the sore tummy so much, it's the anxiety, something's going on in their life. Or you might have... Um, uh, felt that uh, flutter in your stomach when you met someone that you really liked. Um, and you might have been overwhelmed with compassion and you felt it in your stomach of someone who really needs your help. The world apart from God's grace is a very uncompassionate world. We don't do well in that area. Uh, we don't treat the age well. We don't treat the homeless or the refugees or the mentally ill very well. Christianity brought compassion into the world and it still does through us. We need to be compassionate people. This is not something we turn off and on like an appliance. It's something that's there all the time. We need to be those who seek to be compassionate, who asks people, I'm worried about you, I care for you, what's going on in your life? 
How can I help? How can I pray for you? They're the questions we ask when we see someone in need. And then we're told we need kindness. Once again, this isn't natural to us. It's something we have to work at. It's incredibly lacking in the age of the selfie, isn't it? Uh, remember the days where you had a camera and you took photos of people? Like Graham's here and the three sisters are behind him and I've got Graham in the photos and I gotcha. And there's my picture of Graham and the three sisters. But then we got the uh, phone in the camera and rather than Graham being there, it was me. Oh, Graham, you move out of the way. I'll just take a picture of myself now. And if Graham got in the way, I can delete. Me, me, me in all the photos. We live in the world now where we're the centre of attention. We look at ourselves all the time. And what's even worse, if we don't like the way we look, we can touch ourselves up. So we, we look better than we are. Kindness is realising that there are other people to whom we can be life-giving. All who wear the garment of kindness are beautiful people. I have a daughter who's a beautiful girl, not because of her looks so much, but because of her kindness. She goes out of her way to help people, so much so that people want to be around her. She helps uh, refugees. She takes the poor in. She cares for the homeless. She's forever breaking cultural barriers and talking to people. I saw her in the park the other day talking to a man who was Chinese who couldn't speak English. They spoke for half an hour. But they couldn't understand each other, but they still communicated. And in the end, uh, he was carrying her children around and they were just enjoying life together. No wonder people want to be around someone like that and we need to grow into that, don't we? It's not natural for us, but God says, clothe yourself in kindness. Uh, I've missed a few of these slides, so we'll get to kindness and then there's humility. I think it was Donald Trump who said, I'm proud to be humble. Sounds like one of his quotes, doesn't it? Uh, Humility or lowliness, uh, it's a word despised in Greek culture. Pride was a thing in the culture of the day, not humility. In our own culture, humility is more seen as a vice than a virtue. We don't really like it either. Pride is a virtue for us. People who put themselves up uh, and talk about, be respectful to me because I'm an important person. I want your honour. I want your recognition. Um, But the Bible, pride is a sin. And humility is a virtue. And Paul had a lot to say, a lot to boast about, of who he was and what he could do. But it says in the book of Acts that he served the Lord with great humility and with tears. So when he wrote to the Romans, he could say this, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. Have a realistic view of who you are. Jesus was humble. He was not arrogant. He wasn't proud. And humility allows for a culture of true respect. Respect for others. Respect for your partner. Respect for teachers. Respect for your boss, your parents, for pastors. In the church, humble people don't escalate conflicts. Rather, they help solve them. It's a piece of clothing that should be worn by every believer. And then there's gentleness and meekness. Meekness is not weakness, is it? Um, Think of a a gentle breeze blowing. You can feel the breeze blowing, but you know that that breeze can blow into a hurricane if it wants to. Think of a foal that's um, 
being broken in and the foal is just jumping around but if the foal wanted to it could kick and, 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 and kick out and hurt someone. Uh, this is the, the idea in the original language of what this meekness means, strength under control, a lioness being uh, torn apart by her cubs who are biting her ear and biting her tail and with one sweep of her hand to her paw she can knock them away but she has strength but it's controlled. Gentleness is knowing when to be tough and when to be tender. Jesus was tough for his people and his mission but he was tender with his disciples. Think of Peter after he denied Jesus and Jesus sees him on the beach after the resurrection and Peter's dumbfounded. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what Jesus is going to say to him and Jesus receives him back into the fold and says, not only do I forgive you but I've got a job for you to do now which is to feed my sheep and to go out and to talk to others about me. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells us to be gentle like a mother caring for her children. Writing to Timothy, he encourages church leaders to be gentle and not violent. So Stuart, no violence, please, with your group and your team. Uh, Peter writes that wives should seek the unfolding beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So ladies, humility, strength, but under control. And then there's patience. Oops, let's get to patience. I'm not going to give you a fishing story. I'll give you another one. Uh, in my casual teaching work, I sometimes take PE classes. And I had one the other day. It was a year eight PE class. And they're fairly active, boys and girls. Uh, they got changed and the boys were particularly rowdy getting changed, singing lots of songs. Uh, they never sing anywhere else, but in the change room they were singing a lot. And after 10 minutes when they came out, half of them weren't even changed. What they were doing in there, I don't know. I was getting a little frustrated, a little bit impatient. Sat them down on some gym mats at the back of the room and was going to call the roll. Well, as usual, the boys are pushing and shoving each other and the girls are sitting like angels. Um, <clears throat> one particular boy, for no particular reason, decides to climb up off the gym mat onto a high jump mat and then into a carpet bowls mat, which is about two metres tall and it's very thick and it's rolled up and it's standing in the corner and there's a hole in it. And he decided to get into the hole and wave to me. But as he waved to me, he slipped and went down into the hole and I couldn't get him out. By now, the class is off the planet. I'm frustrated and getting impatient but still holding it together somewhat and realising that there are two ways to unroll a carpet. One is where you put it on the ground and you unroll it and it opens up and somebody comes out the other end. The other way is to roll it the wrong way and it rolls like a log over and over and over itself. Well, the year eight boys that helped me decided that was a better way. And so the carpet rolled up the length of the gym, about 40 metres with the boy inside, then all the way back. And when the boy finally got out, he was so dizzy, all he could say was, can we do that again? <laughs> the answer was no. Oh. I prayed two things while this was happening. I literally did. I prayed that the boy would be safe because I thought that would be pretty dangerous in there and that I would not lose my patience. And God granted me both prayers. 
after I sat them down, I did uh, have a few words with them and said that I'd keep them in for infinity. Uh, but that was probably an overstatement, but... <sighs> Patience is being able to deal with difficult people and difficult circumstances without losing your, your control. And we need to be people in Christian circles who can do that, especially with each other in this congregation. Well, all these qualities, uh, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, patience, we're all worn by Jesus. We, we see Jesus as the, the great example of what these things look like. And we need to become, as we're in Christ, part of that person. What happens when we wear these new clothes? If you have a look at the text, uh, verse 13, it says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So we bear with people and we forgive them when we wear these clothes. That's not an easy thing to do, is it? Uh, It's not easy in society and it's not easy in church. Despite our differences over issues, we should bear with each other. Now, what are the the issues that we sometimes fight about in church? Well, there's money and where it should be spent. There's new people coming into church and what we do with them. There's who we baptise and we don't baptise. What we sing, what we wear, what's appropriate in the service, all these sorts of things. And Paul is encouraging us here to bear with each other. Invest in the relationship and then deal with the subjects. Don't deal with the subjects without investing in the relationship. So the relationship should be strong enough to deal with the issue. If the relationship isn't strong enough, you'll fight over every and any issue. But invest in the relationship with people. That's the big point that Paul's moving towards here. Who you are as a believer and then clothing yourself with these characteristics. Put on these new clothes so you can relate the way Jesus relates. And when someone in the church frustrates you or annoys you and you want to write them a rude email in capital letters, forgive. Forgiveness is a cancelling of a debt. Who's done that for you? God, through Jesus' death. So do the same for others. As forgiven people, we need to be forgiving. It's like a dry creek bed where the rain falls 40 kilometres upstream and suddenly it trickles down. And what was dry before suddenly becomes green and frogs come out. You didn't even know were there and start croaking and uh, trees begin to grow and and fruit and uh, the whole scene changes. And forgiveness is like that. It brings healing and health and life. It also allows all the hurt and the anger and the bitterness to be washed downstream so that we can enjoy the peace and the presence of the God who heals. This is very radical in our own culture. Listen to the news at night and you hear a culture that's always talking about venting and vengeance and getting even and harbouring bitterness. And Christians are told to be radically different. So forgive as God forgave you. Verse 14. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds all of them together. Imagine a Middle Eastern man. He's put on all the clothes, the clothes of compassion, 
and uh, humility and kindness and gentleness. And now he girds them all with the belt of love. The emphasis in the language here is continuous. Keep on putting on love over and over and over again. You can be a very compassionate person, but still not love someone. So put on love. We live in a culture, again, where love comes with a price tag. So often we say to people, oh, I'll love you if. I'll, I'll love you if you give me a nice home and you give me a nice car and you give me security. Or I'll love you if you perform for me in a certain way. Or I'll love you if I can come to church and I feel as though my needs are being met and I don't want too many new people coming in because that will wreck things. Um, and then we say, you stop filling my need and you know the consequences. God's relationship with us is defined by no conditions. God doesn't make a relationship with us and use us and neither should we. In verse 15, he goes on, says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up in sport, my mum and dad and my coaches said, the umpire or the ref is always right. doesn't matter if he's wrong, he's always right. And if you believe that, the game will flow. You won't have to argue. Well, nowadays, every, every child that plays and every parent on the sideline and every coach thinks they're a ref. And uh, no wonder we get uh, people getting so aggro about children's sport. We get contested calls in our relationships too. We argue with someone. We both think we're right. We put our foot down. We won't budge. Paul says that the peace of Christ rule. Well, how does that happen? Well, when you're arguing with someone, maybe the first thing you could do is rather than arguing, you stop and you actually pray for the other person. That's, not, that's, that's, a, that's the easy part. Maybe then pray with the other person. Seek advice from wise counsel. Read the scriptures. See what the scriptures have to say. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And when we practice all of these things, the compassion, the kindness, the humility, the patience... We practice them amongst God's people in the church. Have a look at verses 16 to 17 of uh, this chapter here in Colossians chapter 3. Let me find it for you. It says here, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We become like who we worship. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of worship. It's a kingdom where we want to be like our king. And when we do kingdom things, we do it when we come together in the church. We take in God's word. We get nourished by it. We sing songs and psalms and the Holy Spirit takes those words and admonishes us and heals us through song. How many songs have you sung in times of depression or in times of elation? Uh, the words come and they teach you. And we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is serving. It's one of the great ways you can grow spiritually. Again, we live in a Western culture where we want to be served all the time. I had a kid at school uh, a couple of years ago who I picked on because he dropped some paper on the ground and he said to me, as I said, pick it up, he said, why? Someone's paid to do that. I didn't kill him, but I felt like it. 
But that's the, that's the age we live in now. And we need to teach our children to serve from an early age. And as we serve, we mature. It allows us to take all these characteristics and put them into practice as we invest in someone else. So we're told here to give thanks to God through the precious name of Jesus. Whether you're in a good season or a bad season, you can still give thanks for things. You can give thanks that you're forgiven. You can give thanks that Jesus has died for you and risen again, that he's coming back to take you to be with him and perfection will come in all your relationships. And so we're told tonight that we're chosen, we're holy, we're loved, we're special. That's a lot to sing about. So next time mum wears her pyjamas to school drop off and she gets a flat tyre, think about these verses and the Christ-like characteristics you need to be putting on to make you the person that God wants you to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray that we might put on these uh, virtues and that uh, the world, when it looks at us, might see people who are living an alternative story, people who are different in a way that is good and wholesome and true and loving. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would, through your spirit, close us with these things in these next weeks and months. Amen.